TB is at a 10-year high with a nearly 25% jump in the number of animals testing positive last year. The TB eradication scheme is now costing the taxpayer €74 million a year which is in itself a jump of nearly a third. But clearly it isn't doing the job if it is an eradication scheme. There is new science at hand this week, though, that shows what the main sources of infection are and what might be done to tackle that. I thought, though, that it was important to begin by looking at the human cost of this, the impact when a farmer has to completely depopulate his entire herd because of TB. John Bateman's herd suffered a serious outbreak recently. He's the ICMSA chairman in Limerick and for the first time in his farming career there are no cows to be found anywhere in his yard. Did you ever hear the sound of your own footsteps in this parlour before? No. Normally what you get in in the milking parlour is the rhythm of the milking machine and the pulsation and the odd cow shuffling. This time of the year, you'd have calves bawling. You'd have a new calf almost every morning. Or it's in the larger farms, you'd have multiple calves this time of the year. Um, that's what farming is about. The morning, the cows went. I went up the fields to bring him down. I have never in my life felt such a Judas, knowing that, God forgive me, that they were going to be going to the factory, literally mass murder, that later on. Um, Explain that to me, though, because none of this was your fault. No, but, like, cows are different. They're your pals, as such. You've been at their births. You were at their mother's births. You were at their granny's births. They're part of what you do. Did you feel that you had somehow failed these animals? Farmers are funny creatures. Their life's work is their stock and their farm. And the only thing that will surpass that is their family. Nothing else. Um, but tis, uh, tis, tis, tis strange. As, as a farmer, that's what your life is. Your stock, your farm. You'll stay up all night if there's a cow calving. You, you won't complain. Um, and then, God forbid, you lose the calf. You need to put that behind you and try and do better with the next one. You know, or if you lose an animal. Um, if you do your best, it's no problem. If you feel you let the animal down, you'll be kicking yourself for for, for weeks after. Um, and, like, you won't win them all. There's an old saying that, like, where you've livestock, you'll have dead stock. And, um, but as a farmer, you try to do your best for your animals and loading them up in a truck to go to the factory is not one of those things. Um, I went to the GP there lately for my uh, check-up. He took my blood pressure to the end of it. He said, this guy, hi. We were talking about my depopulation. Mm -hmm. And he said, you need to check that. I've been checking it regularly since. There's nothing wrong with it. And he says, it's probably what we've been chatting to. And I didn't think anything about it at the time. But um, it is quite stressful for your herd to be taken out, come out the following morning into the yard... And um, the silence will kill you. 
derelict. I had a few projects on while I'm out. One was to tidy hedges and do dikes, right? And almost a mental project to keep me going. When you go out, you have to power hose everything. So now going to do Has it changed your sense of who you are and what you do because you're not doing it any longer? Oh, completely. What it does is it kicks any ambition out of your guts. Your life's work. Oh, completely. Disappearing in the course. Overnight. Almost overnight. 24 hours. Yeah, almost overnight. I bought my farm. So everything you see is the sum of my life. You get knocked down, it's very hard to pick yourself up again. Like, I have, I have the joyous decision now to go back into cows or to go try and get a few cattle. Um, I don't see the point in going back into cows because there's still a huge outbreak of TB in my area. Two of my neighbours have gone down recently and they were tested clear after I was depopulated. So it would really only be a matter of time. I, I, I feel again. that, I feel it. And I feel um, I don't want to go through it again. You know, I, don't, I really don't you want You just to, don't have the heart for that. I don't have the heart. I'm, I'm gone too old for that. You know, you can get knocked down and you try and pick yourself okay. up, but it happens once too often. So, this has knocked the stuffing out. Oh, of completely, you, completely, completely. The, the, the original plan was to put in a few bullocks. And... Um, I had another option. A company came to me to know would I lease the farm for solar panels and that would be a very tempting option. My family, they're going up, they're going to jobs. There's nobody really interested in taking it on. And long term, I think the solar panels could be a very viable option for me. My original thing was to stay farming as long as I felt able and happy doing so and then lease the farm or sell it. Solar panels, even though new to me, would be a very... I'd have to have a really serious look at them. It would keep you here living in the place that you have an obvious attachment to, but it would answer the question as to what was your real attachment. Was it the farm or was it the herd? Um, It was probably the way of life. Um, The herd would be, but once that's gone, you have to have a real a real look of what you're doing yeah. and where you're going. Is it just a collection of fields without a herd in it? Um, it's more than that. Um, my predecessor, he gave me a map with the name of each field on it. And I still carry that on. And we'll say... And even with solar panels, those fields would still have the same oh name. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Um, when you came into the house there, you sat on my chair. Oh, God, I didn't realise. You did. I'm terribly yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, um, if you go back and see it, then you look out the window and you look up at the fields. Yeah. Well, that's right? why I chose that seat. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. My own family wouldn't dream of sitting there, no. Right? Because they know Dad sits there. My dad at home years ago had a similar seat that looked out the window, right? So even if you were looking out on solar panels... I'd get used to it. <laughs> but you'd still be here in your seat looking out at your fields. I probably would, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah.
John Bateman at home just outside Croom in Limerick. His is just one of the nearly 5% of all herds that suffered an outbreak last year. And you can hear the personal cost there. It's pretty obvious. Whenever someone suffers an outbreak, there are a lot of fingers of suspicion pointing in all directions, wildlife often getting the blame. But this week, some new science has emerged which shows at a national level what it is that's fueling the continuing herd breakdowns. Simon Moore is the Professor of Veterinary Epidemiology and Risk Analysis in UCD. Yesterday, he told me that this new research had identified four sources of the spread of TV and how much of a contribution each of them makes towards the problem. Uh, We know that really there's four different sources that are important. Three of them relate to cattle and one relates to wildlife. And in terms of cattle, the first one is what we would call hidden or residual infection. That is infection in animals that don't test positive. Uh, In Ireland, all animals have at least an annual skin test. And although this test is, is the best available, it's not perfect. And it doesn't always detect all infected cattle. How often does it work and not work? So the skin tests that we currently use, we would expect if you had 100 infected animals, we would inspect the the skin test to identify about 80 of them. So that's quite a few animals that have been left behind. So there will always be some that will slip through the net. Okay, so let's go back to the sources. Number one is hidden. What's two? So the second one is the movement of cattle. And basically, it's a little bit the same. It's really cattle, again, with hidden infections. So people don't realise these animals are infected, but it's cattle moving from farm to farm and taking infection with them. The third one is when uh, the bacteria that causes TB can be disseminated from infected cattle from infected cattle into the environment. Uh, and these bacteria can survive for a period of time and provide a further source of infection. And then the final source of infection is uh, from wildlife. Now, in, in, in Ireland, that's primarily badgers, although certainly in County Wicklow, uh, deer are also involved. So they're essentially the four sources of infection that we, we, we have. And what's the contribution of each of them then? The contribution of these four sources is roughly similar. So about 15% roughly due to hidden infection, 15% due to moved cattle, 15% due to the environment, and 15% due to directly due to badgers, with the remaining 40% um, uh, essentially there's more than a single infection source and it's not possible to disentangle, uh, which is responsible. But of those four sources, would it be correct to say, Simon, that cattle seem to be the main driver of the spread of this disease and not wildlife? That is essentially correct. That is essentially correct. But nonetheless, wildlife are very important. And and why I say this is that wildlife, uh, um, there's ongoing spillover. It's probably a relatively rare event but there's ongoing spillover from wildlife to cattle. And that infection is then subsequently amplified by cattle within herds. 
So, so although um, uh, the wildlife are playing a much lesser role in terms of triggering outbreaks, they can nonetheless cause substantial damage because that infection is sub- subsequently amplified by cattle. So what then, Simon, are the policy implications of this? Farmers are very aware of all of the, the existing cattle controls, annual testing and herd restrictions. They're also very aware of the progressive national move from badger culling to, to vaccination. If we were to do all of existing cattle controls, plus national badger vaccination program, plus selective badger culling, that would not be sufficient to achieve eradication. Uh, essentially, we need to simultaneously address multiple infection sources. Is eradication ever actually truly possible then, or do you think that we just have to do the very best that we can to minimise the number of outbreaks? In the last 50 years, there have been only two countries that have successfully eradicated TB. That's Australia and Japan. In the absence of wildlife, certainly it is possible to eradicate. Um, In the presence of wildlife, uh, it's much harder. It would be possible as long as we're able to uh, prevent that drift of infection from the wildlife source through to cattle. And and that is the whole purpose and the whole uh, um, rationale for initially badger culling and now moving to badger vaccination. And how good is the vaccination for badgers? The use of vaccine nationally would be no worse than culling. In the individual badger, we're looking at about uh, uh, what's called an efficacy of 60%. Obviously far from perfect, but based on work that we've done, it it should be sufficient. But, But for us to be successful, we really need to ensure that uh, all badgers are vaccinated. And that is really the very substantial logistical challenge. The denser the population, the greater the challenge, and the higher the amount of TB infection present in the badger population, the greater the challenge as well. So the approach that has been used uh, to this point has been firstly to only focus Uh, vaccination in areas where there has already been a lot of culling um, and and where badger densities are lower and infection is lower as well. And if it's possible to do that and then introduce uh, vaccination, um, that that offers the best opportunity uh, to ensure that the vaccine is as uh, efficacious as possible. So we can certainly give badger vaccination our best shot possible. But this research is suggesting, Simon, that the main engine of the spread of this disease is actually hidden within the cattle themselves. What we need, obviously, is a better diagnostic test, one that doesn't just work four-fifths of the time, but works all the time. How far away are we from that? We don't have TESA on the horizon that solve this particular problem. But in saying this, Philip, in saying this, um, the the problem of hidden infection was as difficult in Australia 30 years ago, for example, as it is in Ireland now. And there is a solution, a risk-based approach. It was central to the eradication programs in countries such as Australia and New Zealand. 
So rather than giving a black and white, you're clear, you're not clear, we would give a risk-based assessment based on a herd's exposure historically, how many times, how recently they've tested clear and so on. A risk-based approach, we essentially think in terms of a risk gradient. So a herd is on a, a, at a particular point on a continuum, somewhere between low risk and high risk. And if I could give you an example of this, uh, uh, Philip, so imagine a herd that has suffered a TB breakdown in which there are many test positive animals. Uh, as as your farmer listeners will know, uh, this herd will be restricted. It will undergo intensive testing until it achieves two full herd tests with no positive test results. Then the herd restriction will be lifted. And at the point of de-restriction, unfortunately, there is a good chance that hidden infection is still present. Uh, indeed, based on English work, we, we would estimate in these herds with uh, a number of reactors that perhaps 10 or 20% of herds at the point of de-restriction still have hidden infection. So basically, this herd would be considered high risk at that particular point in time. Subsequently, it's going to be tested regularly, and uh, if it has a, a consecutive negative herd tests, we can basically become increasingly confident over time that infection is not present. So the herd is progressively moving from high risk to medium risk to low risk. And, and risk-based approaches are, are absolutely uh, are, are fundamental now to the national program. Simon Moore, Professor of Veterinary Epidemiology in UCD. 10 to 20% of herds have hidden infection at the time that they are given the official all clear. There's obviously quite a few implications for how cattle are bought and sold arising from this and indeed how much funding also there is available for vaccinating badgers, all of which arise from that piece of science. Very interesting advance in the sum of what is known because as the man says, you can't solve a problem until you measure it properly.